listening to Say It Southern, aspiring to live not just as moms, but as modern Southern women, we began this project to hear from those who inspire us and recognize those who are achieving their own personal goals. Listen in as we celebrate the South and those who say it Southern. We are still pinching ourselves over this one. Today, we have a Texas woman who you probably know from one of her New York Times best-selling books, her podcast, For the Love, her TV show, or maybe you're a lucky one and you've had the opportunity to hear her speak. We are so thrilled to share this episode with our Say It Southern community because we know you will love listening to her, getting to know her, and hearing about her latest book coming soon. Please join us as we Say It Southern with Miss Jen Hatmaker. Today on Say It Southern, we are so excited because we have a beloved writer, an advocate, a thinker, for the love podcast creator, and New York Times best-selling author, oh, well, Jen well. Hatmaker. Yay! <laughs> we are so excited. So excited to have you on our podcast today. Super, super. Girl, the pleasure is mine. How many books have you written? Is it 11? You know what? Honestly, I had to go back to my team because I was saying one number, one group of them was saying another, and a third group was saying a different number. And we're like, how can we know? Nobody should write this many books. I think the agreed upon number is that this is book number 12. Wow. You started when you were like four years old then writing I books. just don't even know what to say. Like, I don't know anything else. You know, I've said everything I know. So <laughs> I, I don't know what's left. But <laughs> Where does I, this new material come from then? Oh, that's why I had five kids. You know, it's so many people are like, why'd you do that? I'm like, well, if no other reason, it's material. You know, <laughs> like it's content. Mm-hmm. So, content creators. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they are every day. Like whether they want to be or not. Yeah. Is that what you set out to do is be a writer or does that come along with just your speaking and and everything? No, totally not. I was a fourth grade teacher and I didn't have any sense of vision over my own life in the majority of my twenties. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I can kind of look backwards now and see the thread that was running through. Um, you know, I, one time I was apologizing to my parents for my wasted college degree. And a friend of mine was like, you know what? You're still a teacher. You're just a different kind of teacher. I'm like, that's true. And she's like, you were an English minor. I'm like, that's also true. Um, but I just, I've always loved to write. I just, I lacked the imagination to imagine that that could be my work, right. Or my career. I didn't ever even envision that I could step into that. And so, um, I wrote my first book when I was 29, please know not a living human being was asking me to do that. Nobody (laughs) wanted, nobody was asking. And I was like, okay, you asked for it. Here comes a book. Um, and so it was terrible. I'm very happy that nobody read it. It was absolutely terrible. But, um, but that is when I felt like, oh, here I am. This is what I'm meant to do. I'm not good at it. I don't know what I'm doing yet. But this is the work that I'm going to put my hand to for sure. When do you feel like you like found your stride as a writer? Like what, mm. what, what book was it that you were like, now that one, that, that one's yeah. going to do well. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that that was probably book number eight. <laughs> it took me a while, you guys. Yeah. Like, it just took a minute. Yeah. I, I wrote them so fast. Like my first contract was a five foot contract and they were just like mid fire. Like I wrote all five of them in two years. And so it was just this like trial by fire. And, um, but they, those years taught me a lot. I'm grateful. I'm really not sorry. I have no regrets. I didn't make it. made no money. Nobody read them. They had literally 0% success rate. <laughs> I mean, talk about anybody else would have looked in and been like, there's no, no other banner to put over this season of your life except failure. But that is just not the way I see it at all. Like those years taught me how to be a writer and, and they taught me how to be a writer when like mercifully nobody was reading, honestly, like yeah. the, it was low risk, like yeah. low stakes, you know? And so I didn't have to manage anybody else cause nobody was there. And so I just learned how to work hard and I learned how to get better 
and I learned how to do work for no applause. And that means something mm-hmm. um, because applause comes and goes as I well know now, you know, mm-hmm. that is fickle. And so, um, but probably that eighth book, is that what I said? Eight. You said eighth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was the one that got some traction and now was that uh, seven? That was seven. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And so it really, yeah, it was, it was a good one. I read that one. I read that one with a girlfriend and we did, we did that together. Yeah. And we went through the process and it it was really, it was really enlightening how that transformation, a transformation happened in that book. You can't read it and not, and not be changed when you finish it. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Totally true. People are still fascinated by that book and it's interesting. It's, it still has, it's been 10 years. I wrote that book 10 years ago. Oh my gosh. Wow. I know. And it's, it's got some real legs right now as we're thinking about the earth and conservation yeah. mm-hmm. and purging. Um, yeah, it's, it's really, it, that one has kind of a long shelf life. Yeah, that's great. Well, moving on from that into like a podcast host and that's kind of new, right? The podcast thing is kind of huh? new for you. This summer, it will be three years. Yeah. So that's pretty recent in the scope of like everything that I do. Yeah. And we, again, that also felt low risk. Um, I was, I was with my podcast producer and essentially my assistant and we were like, let's, I mean, like, who cares? Let's just see what happens. You know, like if people, if people don't listen to it, well then, oh, well. And it has just, I have loved, I mean, y'all know you podcast. It is so energizing. And mm-hmm. um, what I realized as a podcast host is almost all of my work is, is a solo flight. You know, no, I write my books by myself. I speak by myself. Um, uh, you know, all that stuff is very like gin, gin doing the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having somebody else across from me with their like interesting lives and their interesting stories and all the great content that they're bringing has just been awesome. I mean, I'm just sick of myself, right? I'm sick to <laughs> death. And so I love the pot. I have met the most fascinating, amazing people through it. I love it. I think that's how we feel yeah. about ours yeah. too. Yeah. Just meeting all these people it's just- and building a community and, mm-hmm. and connecting with different people from different parts. And yeah, it's fantastic. Now, are you still out speaking as well? Like this minute? Well, not this minute since we're all at home, but (laughs) virtually, you're virtually speaking. Right. My whole, um, you know, spring calendar was canceled like everybody else who speaks Mm -hmm. and travels for a living. Um, But no, yeah, that's still a pretty substantial part of what I do. Um, And I love, I really love that part. So I'm, I'm missing it right now. I'm missing like a room full of women. That is one of my favorite zip codes. It's just like, women and you hear the buzz in the room and everybody's so glad to be there. And you can only be medium funny and everybody still laughs. Cause they're like, we don't care. We're, we're not at home. We you know? like, we're out. We're out. We, <laughs> got a we don't even care what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I can't wait to get back to that. And, um, we pushed the whole sort of book tour to the fall. And so I just look forward to reengaging that part of my work and just, cause right now all I'm doing is speaking to my um, iPhone. Yes, and I think we can all agree it's terrible lighting. Like yes, I, yes. there's not no good my best way. We're over Zoom. You're we're done with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're hanging out. <laughs> so, how much of your life is writing, and how much of your life is speaking? What's the what's the balance? I mean, there's no such thing as balance. Let's be real. There's no such thing as balance. But yeah. as soon yeah, as you I'm get rid of that idea, so how much of your life falls into those two categories? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like I'm going to just make up some numbers right now on the spot. That's good. I feel like on the spot, mm-hmm. I'm going to say that it's like 80, 20 writing. Okay. Um, that's heavy. Speaking, I, I love being in a live room with women and I love traveling with my friends and I don't travel really alone anymore. I, I'm always speaking either with a partner or on a team, which is my favorite new way to work. Um, but that's really texting and I have five kids. Yeah. And so I've learned after doing that, you know, for 15 years or whatever, what the limits are and how much I can handle. I know this is, nobody ever believes this, but I'm a very textbook introvert. And so that just level of required extroversion is disproportionately taxing on me for some reason. And so I, when I, was coming home. I used to travel more than I do now. Now I'm super, super selective 
really, really careful about my, how much I say yes to that takes me away from home. But back when I wasn't, and I said yes to everything and traveled more, I just was, I was such a monster. You guys, I mean, I was just a monster. I would come home absolutely so depleted that I, I just, I was just a, I just freaked out. Like I would just lash out at everybody for two solid days. And they're like, well, you're making us cry. And so I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is not like great for me. I, this is not my best me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I'm really, really careful about what I say. It really has to fit. I have to be a really good fit for it. I have to know, but most of it's my own. Like we, I travel with my own events now. So I yeah. love those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and your kids are younger then too. And we talk a lot on this podcast yeah. about, you know, that, that guilt that you so oh, you so poignantly address in your book, which we're about to get into, but just that guilt of that space of being, trying to be everything to everybody. Oh man. Oh man. I mean, just like, don't even get me started here. I have, I've learned not really just to manage the guilt, but to really reject it because, you know, I can count on exactly one hand, how many times somebody has asked my husband, Brandon, how he manages um, to be a parent and also have a job. Nobody asks men that. They stab. ask women that. Stabbing. Stab. Yes. Stab. I want to stab everybody. And like this binary idea that our culture handed women a really long time ago and we bought into it, I'm just not having it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so the guilt is a byproduct of a really broken system in the first place, which says you have to choose. You're either going to have a fulfilling career or you're going to be a good mom. You know, that is garbage. That is trash. Um, Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when that guilt comes in, I'm like, whoa, that's bad sourcing. Mm -hmm. Like that comes from a poisoned well and you are not going to drink it. Um, And so I really work to reject that message. Did that fuel the book? Let's let's jump into the book. Yeah. Fierce, free, and full of fire. The guide to being your glorious you. Love it. Yes. Yes. You know, I tried to come up with a title. It was the hardest thing to both say and remember. And that's like, I really nailed it. I really nailed it. I dialed this one right in. Um, you know what? This book is really a result of coming to terms with my own freedom. Like, uh, uh, this is the book that I needed five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was on the other side of this work mm-hmm. and I realized that in a lot of areas, not just one, in a lot of areas, I was just not telling the truth. Like I was one thing to one room of people. I was a different thing to a different room of people. I would say this one thing in public, but I really held a different conviction in my heart. Um, I was sort of performing to maintain the community I had built, even though I had some really serious and genuine tension, um, internally, uh, things I believed and didn't believe things I wanted to say and didn't feel like I could say, because I was coming from a community where if you break with the norms and there was a whole list of them, they were all known quantities that the cost of doing that was your belonging. And so belonging was like weaponized. So you, you don't step outside of any of these boundaries or you don't get to belong anymore. And I knew that, like I knew the cost, but I I wasn't prepared to pay it yet. I was too afraid. And so I got to this point though, where I realized it was killing. And so I thought, okay, I am either going to get to hang on to my career as I know it right now, or I'm going to get to hang on to my integrity, but I do not get both. I'm going to have to choose which one. And I needed to be able to look myself in the mirror at the end of the day. So I chose my integrity. I chose honesty. Um, and I just decided to pay the cost, whatever it was going to be. And I did. Mm -hmm. And then once the wind and the waves finally calmed down, I was like, Oh, I'm free. Like I am free. It was worth it. It was worth it. And then I'd even, even more shockingly, my community regenerated and I rebuilt and I rebuilt in a better zip code. And I rebuilt with people that felt more trustworthy and that had 
they valued spiritual curiosity. And I just couldn't believe it. Oh, and I just can't believe it. If you would have told me five years ago that I was going to sit here in full freedom like I am today, I would not have believed you. So fierce is essentially everything I learned. Mm. How, how long did you feel like that you were at that place of like not knowing what, which group that you belong to? Mm. Like the internal private tension that I was too scared to talk about? Yeah. I felt like I was incredibly disintegrated, meaning this one way, this another, you know, this on the outside, but this actually on the inside. Um, incredibly so, acutely so for probably three years wow. and a little bit broader than that, probably something more like five or six, Okay, like five or six years sooner, the edges were just starting to fray. And I was like, I can keep this together. You know, like I know the rules, I know the language, I know what's going to, I know what kind of behavior is going to get rewarded and I'll just do that. You know, I'll just sort of keep the, the wheels on, but the, the internal cost just proved to be too high. That's just no way to live. Yeah. Um, cause you're constantly afraid. You're always afraid, um, that, you know, the other shoe's going to drop and you're always afraid you're going to step wrong. And that ultimately wasn't enough to hold for me. Do you think that that comes from convictions or do you think that comes from like, you know, something we talk about all the time is, we, we actually talked about this yesterday, how we were, how our twenties looked this way and how our thirties looked this way mm-hmm. and our forties, we're feeling really good about ourselves in our forties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Just having more confidence. Yeah. More, more clarity and more confidence uh-huh. to go in the direction that, you know, life and, and maturity totally. sets you up for. And then also like, you kind of just get to the point that you just don't, you don't care as much. Everything you're saying is true. Like just wisdom and, and age is a real tool. It's a real tool for integration. Um, just cause we grow up and we, and, and sometimes we just, we grow into new ideas and we grow, our exposure is wider. Like our perspective gets wider. And so that all matters. I, that, I actually have a chapter in the book where I talk about some of this internal work is just a function of getting older. And that's great. Like there's, there's, that's, that's a wonderful gift. But I also think that there is some real intentional work to be done for women to really be free in their lives. And the way that I know that that's possible, like, cause I don't want to, I don't want one of your younger listeners to hear that and go, well, damn, I mean, I'm not going to be 40 for another 15 years. <laughs> yeah. Um, the way that I know that that is not a requirement is when I look at my daughter, Sydney, who's about to turn 20 and I'm like, Oh, she's already free. Like she is, she would never wait until her mid forties to break out of gender stereotypes or, um, to be so disintegrated in her own life. Like her generation is just different, man. They're coming hard. Mm-hmm. And so I keep thinking, oh, what if I could have learned this when I was 20? Like, what if somebody would have said this to me at 20, you know, and who knows, but I do think that the next generation is more prepared to become liberated in their own lives sooner than we were. No I doubt. really do. Yeah. I agree with that too. Yeah. Well, take us through the book. You know, mm-hmm. you've got the different points, the who, yeah. who I am, what I need, what I want, what I believe and how I connect. Yes. Okay. So like I combed back through all my social media accounts for at least a year. And I was like, where is our shared momentum? Like in my community, what are our shared pain points? What do we keep talking about? Where is it that we want the most freedom? And I just noticed it was around this whole idea of this sense of, I am, I am not really living fully in my own life. And some of it is because I don't, I'm afraid to, some of it is, I don't even really know who I am. Um, some of it is that my relationship, my relationships are too toxic. There's just a variety of factors that I noticed that if women felt the courage and the permission and the freedom to tell the truth in those five areas, it, it would literally trickle down to every facet of our life. So if we can really figure out ownership, do the internal work so that we know this is who I am. This is what I need. Women are not great at saying what we need. 
Um, that's all. all. Yeah. That's a whole like internal breach. Um, this is what I want. Again, women are not encouraged to have big desires. That's not ladylike. Um, this is what I believe. And then this is how I connect. That's pretty much, that's our whole life. That makes up everything that we're putting our hands to. That's our entire world. And so, um, so each of those big sections have chapters under them where I hopefully have put so many tools in the hands of the reader. This is not just a memoir. It's not a memoir at all. Um, I combined every single resource that taught me well, every resource, every tool, every good teacher, every bit of wisdom, every learned um, lesson through an experience. So we just crammed it all in there, every single thing. And so hopefully women will not just be like, oh, I need to do that work. But I'm going to say, here's what, here's how you can do it. Mm -hmm. Like here's scripts. Here's the language you can use. Here's next steps. Here's actual, you know, resources. And so I, I hope women will close the last page and, and not just want to be free, but know how to get there. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Yeah. I was gonna say, I think that's the problem with women is we know what we want, but we yeah. just don't know how to get there. And, yes. and we don't believe we deserve it or can do it. Yeah. Both right. <laughs> like I have a whole chapter called I deserve goodness. Women do not believe it. Like I deserve it. It's at my core. Um, but instead we have, we have been mistreated and disenfranchised and marginalized for so long. I mean, centuries, I'm not, I'm talking about the history of mankind that that's just a narrative we were handed that we should be really, really grateful for a friendly second place, you know, really, really grateful with crumbs from the table. Um, and I just am not buying it anymore buying it at all. And so I think women need to be told you deserve this. You are able, you are capable, you are smart. Um, you are correctly designed. Like nobody needs you to be more or less than you are. Like you're, you are correct as the way that you are internally wired. And so this is a huge dose of that, man. It's like a punch you in the face kind of a book. Like, yeah, well, we do this whole thing of, pretending to be one way, and then we compare ourselves. I mean, you know, comparison is poison. So, but we get that from the world telling us that we've got to look this way and act mm-hmm. this way and do these things. Oh, yeah. Listen, we got the message we were meant to receive. The three of us, we knew exactly how we were supposed to act, what was expected of us, and how we were supposed to look by the time we were in first grade. You know, yeah. we got we got the memo. And so I, you know, one thing I want to tell women in this book is there's nothing wrong with you. If like, if you hate your body, if you don't believe that you deserve goodness, if you, if your relationships are poisoned and you don't feel like you have permission um, to set boundaries on them, it's not that there's something wrong with you. You were told all those things. That's what you're supposed to be thinking. And so according to the sort of narrative in our culture, so we're going to have to do some pretty intentional work to unspool those things. Um, they're very baked into our rhetoric, very baked in, um, to our like cultural and social norms. And so it's going to take a whole generation of women kind of standing on our own two feet and saying, no, this is trash. I don't believe this. I'm not buying it. I'm not playing this game anymore. Um, I'm going to have full ownership of my own life. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, here's what's so ugh about this you know, some people would call that feminism and feminism has been portrayed in such a way like, well, the women are just going to burn it all down. You know, like here come the women just, just mean and bitchy. They're going to destroy marriage and they're not going to have be good moms. And that again, it's another lie. Like what I see in my experience, like both observationally and like in my large community of women is that women who are free when they are fierce, free and full of fire, those are the very best women. They are the best wives. They are the best friends. They are the best teachers. Like those are healthy women and thus they are creating healthy communities. Like those are the women who are flourishing. And so everybody around them is flourishing. Their relationships are flourishing. They're serving in like beautiful ways. Like women are not to be feared. We're not scary. I think when women are free, we are the absolute best news to this broken planet. Mm-hmm. You know, but how are we going to do this? Because it's in every area of our life. It's not just yeah. at work. We do this at work. We do this at home. We do this as a yeah. mother. We do this as 
friend. We do this as a wife. So it's almost like, where do we start? I mean, I know you need to start with yourself, but how are we going to make do this in every area? You know, like I yeah. know women that are good at their business and they're fierce at business, but their home life is not that way. It's a great point. That's a great point. That's I, the book is structured in an order on purpose. And the first whole section is this, who I am way, way before we get to what I do, what I'm good at, what I love, you know, any of that, this, who I am, um, matters. And I think we're real broken right there. And thus that sort of toxic thinking rolls downhill to all those things that you just mentioned. So if we can even just start there, if we can start with, okay, how am I designed? How do I thrive on this earth? What sort of, I have a chapter kind of, what sort of container do I need to fill? Because, you know, it's interesting. Some women in their context, obviously, and we have experiences, we're told obviously to be less, like take up way less space. Let You are allowed less opinions, less compensation, less respect, less authority. I mean, we're very familiar um, with, with the world telling women to be less, but in other contexts, some women are being told to be more. You're not enough. Mm-hmm. You're not doing enough. You're not smart enough. Um, you're not interesting enough. Um, you're not striving enough. And so I think both of those are horrible. And so I'm thinking what would happen if women shut out all that noise and went, how do I thrive? Let's sort that out. Um, and then start filling the capacity that we're meant to fill. And then we will start working on everything else that attaches to it. And so, listen, I make no bones about it. This is some work. It's some work. Mm -hmm. And it requires some heavy lifting. And it requires women to tell the truth, finally. Because we're just buried. Just absolutely buried. We're burying feelings. We are burying secrets that are, like, killing us. Um, We are burying ideas. We are burying our frustrations. And... It's just coming out sideways, you know. We bury that stuff alive, and so I think if we can, if we can say to ourselves, "I deserve this. I deserve to do this work," um, and it's going to make me a better mom and a better wife and a better professional and a better servant and a better neighbor. And I believe that so wholeheartedly. That's where we begin. So another place to land is, I mean, where we begin where we live, we thrive where we live. How do you create that environment and that, how do you cultivate, you know, honesty mm-hmm. within your family, who you're totally, who you're living your raw, true self yeah. with? Yeah. How do you create honesty so that our kids can be that way and do that? You know? Okay. Well, let me just say this first, because I just going to have to just say the truth here. Okay. Get ready. Truth okay. bomb. Truth bomb. <laughs> truth bomb. Yes. Yes. So, depending to, to whatever degree that we are actually pretty disintegrated in our own lives, where we are not really forthcoming, where we are not being genuine, when we are not saying what we need or what we want, when we are not having a lot of ownership in our own lives. Once we start doing that, once we dig deep enough and go, we all deserve truth in this family, in this team, whatever the thing is, it is going to be disruptive. And so I do want women to know that probably it's going to get a little harder before it gets better because let's be honest, people probably want the exact version of ourselves that we are right now because we are helping tend the little worlds we've created, right? And so um, once we start saying this is not working for me, or this is something I want you to know is true, or this is a boundary I need to create, or this is something, a change I want to make. People are going to be like, I don't like it. I don't like it. This is going to affect me. And I don't want anything to affect me. Um, and so I think we have to be prepared, um, to, for a little bit of disruption. Um, and I would still say to women that is not reason enough to not do this work. And you can handle it. You can. You can handle somebody else's discomfort. You know, we were told early on that our job was to go into a room, read it, give it what it wants, and keep the temperature in the room at whatever it's at. Don't let anybody get too warm. Don't let anybody get too cold. But like, we never even got to set the temperature. 
you know? And so just know if you go into a room and it starts getting a little warm for people, they're going to be like, I'm sweaty. Like, I don't like this. I like the old room. Um, it's still worth it. Like it is worth it to be a sincere, integrated human person. What's what we crave? And I think that's, you know, what we found in this podcast is so many people just appreciate authentic people and authentic women. Mm -hmm. It's really true. I mean, it's what you're drawn to. It's what I'm drawn to. And I know when I'm getting it, you know, like I can smell a phony. Totally. And I, I am, it's so funny. The very thing that we're afraid of, which is vulnerability, right? And this real, like, truly authentic way to live and scares the very thing we're afraid of is actually the thing that draws people to us. Mm-hmm. Like when you're really vulnerable with me, that doesn't push me away. That tells me, Oh, I can trust you. I can trust you. I, I can be this way with you because you are being this way with me. And I find it has a very uplifting effect on our relationships and on the little worlds that we all live in. And so I don't think we need to be nearly as afraid of vulnerability as we've been told. Totally. So once you do figure out kind of who you are and what you're wanting to do, then, then, I mean, what are you supposed to do with these friends that are toxic? I mean, you're just going to kick them to the curb or how are we going to manage all this? You know, there's not like a template to just lay over a lay down right now to say, this is what you do. Um, well, they're going to be so hot from the room temperature. They're going to be gone anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Some of them will self edit. Mm -hmm. They will edit themselves right out. Take the trash, Um, the trash taking itself out. I'll tell you in some, in some cases, I don't want this to sound cold. Um, that's not always a bad thing. Some relationships are not redeemable. Um, or they are so bad for our mental health or for our lives that they deserve to be purged. But I will also say this, there's a whole book in here on called, well, what did I call it? Something like, I'm just, I'm no drama, like no more drama in my relationships. I'm not having it. I don't want it. I'm too old for this. Like I'm not in middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I walked through every single, um, tool that has ever helped me draw boundaries. And here's something that I want to offer, you know, my readers and your listeners, which is sometimes calm, clear boundaries can salvage a relationship. Like even one that's just really lopsided or really not, um, flourishing at all. You can, we can apply boundaries and they could actually write the ship. Um, and so again, it's not anything to be afraid of. If it is a good relationship with somebody who loves you and respects you and has the potential for health, boundaries will not ruin it. Boundaries will redeem it. Mm-hmm. And so the, but the person who goes, I'm sorry, you've changed the temperature of the room so much. And I'm unwilling to change my drama to, yeah. to fit yeah. this new you. Okay. We bless and release. We bless. <laughs> Go forth the dear one. Um, another topic that you speak about in this book or write about is loneliness and how it just thrives in times of transition in your lives. And I think for women, I want to talk about this because I can look back on times in my life. I'm like, that is so true. I think about having my first child and how my, you know, your life changes and how lonely I felt and all alone. Um, I've lost both my parents. So I've also kind of gone through some loneliness with that and how relationships have changed even with my sisters or friends. Um, so tell, talk a little bit about that. So I think this book is going to be out by the time the podcast comes up. It's not out yet, but I've got about 3,000 women reading it right now, both on my launch team and in my book club. And this exact thing that you're talking about is such a shared pain point. Now that I'm listening to readers' responses, women are like, that chapter is like hitting me in the face because I'm lonely. Like women are lonely and we don't know what to do about it. And we think it's our fault and we don't quite know how to fix it. And it's literally breaking our hearts. Um, and so to your point, I, I wrote about transition. Loneliness can happen anytime to anyone, but it does seem like in times of transition, it spikes. So, you know, whether that means first baby in the house or, you're becoming an empty nester or, um, you've moved. 
um, and you lost your original crew and you got to build a new one, which is really hard, or you went back to work or you, you stayed home for the first time, whatever it is. Um, I think, you know, we're pretty prepared for those sorts of big changes to affect our rhythms, you know, our schedules. But I think the loneliness takes us by surprise, um, that we were not always prepared for how, like all of a sudden relationships that, served us in the last phase of our life sometimes don't make the leap or we just need more of them. We need some new people who kind of understand this new space. And so, um, I hope that in fierce, I have put in a million ideas for building community and what that looks like. And I do want women also to remember this doesn't necessarily need to look like creating the most connected beautiful group of 10 best friends. If it looks like that, that's great. But the data shows us that even having one really meaningful, genuine, authentic relationship, friendship specifically, so that we're not trying to get from our spouse or from a kid or our partner, but from a friend is enough. Like the boom it has on our mental health is enormous. And so um, I always just tell women, because women are afraid here, I'm like it's worth the risk. It, it, loneliness is not worth it. It does not pay out. So is it a little risky to put yourself out there to reach out for a connection, to start a new relationship, um, to try to deepen one that already exists? Probably. There's some risk involved. Still worth it. Um, still worth it. Um, the evidence is so unambiguous that when we have connected, meaningful relationships in our lives, we are literally doing better in every single facet of our life. Flip side is true. When we are lonely and isolated and feeling fragmented from other people, it has a negative effect on every single facet of our life. So this is a big deal mm -hmm. and it matters. If this is where we concentrate our work, it's a good place to do it. You know, it just goes back to what you're saying though, who I am. You go back to that very first point is that you have to feel secure enough to put yourself out there and to reach out to other people that are like you and, and figure out what you want from yes. a relationship and what you believe about yourself and what you feel like you have to offer other yes. women instead of competing with them to get to totally. a spot. Yeah, I, I, it's a great point because when you've sort of done a lot of personal excavating kind of in your own soul, your own mind, your own beliefs, and like this is, this is kind of who I am. You know, this is me. This is what I value. This is, you end up making better choices relationally. Um, and so, you know, the thing is when we're operating all, out of all these lies and expectations and like preformed rules, the community that builds around that is wobbly, right? Cause it's just not true. It's not based in truth. Um, and so I think women who are really integrated are the ones that end up making the absolute best relational choices too, mm -hmm. um, because they go, Oh, this isn't going to be a community that's healthy for me, you know, or opposite. Oh, this community shares my values. Like we have a lot in common and we, you know, some of the things that are really going to matter inside of a close relationship, I'm going to be able to find over here. Um, and so again, that's why we do that sort of personal work first. And then we start surveying the landscape, like what else needs some reform in my life. And, and those are our choices and we have to own them, you know, like there's no, I make no bones about it, but at some point we have to say, okay, I've made some choices that I, I now need to re-examine. And um, that might mean it gets, like I said earlier, a little messier before it gets cleaner, but that's still really important work and worth it. Mm, I got some work to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, part of making, you know, those choices is, you know, we get to the point that we are pulled in a million different directions and we you know, saying yes to one thing is saying no. Something's always sacrificing. There's, there's the risk and reward is crazy when you get to the point that we do with kids going everywhere and schedules. And then like, we want to be our true self and we're, we got to do this work. And then we only have, you know, then somebody's got to fix dinner, you know? So yeah, that's why like, it's pretty liberating to find out that when you sort of 
chart out. This is really what I want my life to look like. This is where it feels out of control. This is where it feels chaotic. This is where it feels disconnected, um, whatever. This is where it feels too busy that you can actually come right into your own life that you are living inside your body and say no to things and nobody will die. Mm. Like what? You get to be in charge of your own life. Can you imagine? <laughs> can you even imagine, can you imagine like, how that must you actually have to do everything in the world? You don't actually have to say yes to everybody who asks you to do something. You can literally say no. And the reason it's because I just don't want to, that's why. Yeah. And that's the end. And it's a period at the end of the sentence. And we're conceding a lot of ownership in this particular area. There's a one whole chapter called, I want to choose my yeses <laughs> because <laughs> I don't think women are doing a great job of this. We are, we feel like we're not getting to choose our yeses. Everybody's making us choose these yeses and we hate it and we hate them. And we hate everything. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, we got, we've got to get the cart before the horse here and figure out that we're the only one who gets to make these choices ultimately. So we're, we're lying in the beds that we're making with our yeses. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to really grab that one by the tail. I think that's little things and big things too. You know, sure, it's not just some big ask. It's it's the little detail, little things in our lives every day too. Right, like little tiny stabs all day long. Mm-hmm. It, for me, it's a lot of the little things are the ones that steal so much of my joy and bandwidth and energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can say big big nos and little nos. We can say big yeses and little yeses. Um, one thing that I wrote in there, which is a really good grid for me, I learned it from another writer, um, Greg McCowan. He wrote a book called essentialism and he included this teeny little sentence that is now like my mantra. Like this is the banner that yeah. I wave over <laughs> my life. Got my pen. I got my pen out. To, yeah. Cause we all have too many options. Most women get a thousand choices for every hundred spots, right? Like we all have too many options and his <laughs> mantra is, when you're weighing it all out, if it is not a hell yes, then it's a no. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I like this. I like this. Cause I give a lot of like, I guess so. Yeses. Like I should. Yeses. Um, I feel bad to say no. Yeses. I feel obligated. Yeses. A medium. Yes. And he's like, (laughs) clear the deck. Like if it's not a hell yes, (laughs) it's just a no. And I'm like, okay, bro. Like, you're serving me right now. You're serving it up. And I'm like hitting it. And so that has actually changed my life. Um, I applied that really brutal metric to my life. And again, people are like, Oh, okay. You can say no, people don't die. They really don't. And then I was like, look at me living my life, living my life the way I wanted to live it. Love it. I love it. I can't wait to read this book. I am like so fired oh, up right now. Get, I know. We got to get our copies like ASAP. We're going to send them in hot, you guys. Look, just, just Lysol it. Lysol it of COVID. <laughs> and send it to us. We'll get a mask. <laughs> happening. We can read so it with weird. a mask on. Yeah. We can put gloves on. on. Yeah. yeah. We'll put gloves on and read it. Love it. Hey, but before we let you go, we like to do a little popcorn round where we just fire some quick questions okay. with one answer. Um, so just answer the first thing that comes yeah. to your mind. Go okay. Ahead. Okay. Favorite place that you've ever traveled? Or Santorini, where? Greece. Santorini, Greece. Oh, oh, that's on my list, Jen. Guys, I can't even. Like, I can't. Don't even make me start talking about it. I the most beautiful place these eyes have ever seen. I cannot even. How many days do you need over there? We spent three, and that is that probably did the trick because it's a really interesting community. And I know I want to tell you this before you go. It's, you know, built into the side of a hill yes. and it's all stairs and the stairs are <laughs> like four feet apart. I about died. Yeah. Like I almost died. I almost died 20 times when I was there and I was like, I'm just not going to go to dinner because I cannot walk back up the stairs. I can't do it. <laughs> I just not eat. It's a weight oh, loss but, challenge. No eating and oh, lots of stairs. So lots of oh, lunges before we go. <laughs> and orthopedic shoes. Yes. Okay, Sarah's got a body. foot problem. I, got, so, yeah. I mean, her daggum foot problem. She has to wear orthopedic <laughs> shoes already. So... <laughs> So we need something in Oklahoma, a lot flatter for yeah, Sarah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I'm not okay. climbing much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how does Jen Hatmaker treat herself? Mm. Yes. Okay. My favorite thing to do is to be with my girlfriends. So we treat ourselves 
by, we are all members of this adorable little winery that's 10 minutes from our houses and on the reg back when life was normal, (laughs) we would be like, you guys, it's four o'clock. That's only one hour away from five o'clock. So it's about the same. And so let's go meet at the winery and we're going to have a glass of wine. I just love my friends. So that's my favorite thing to do. That's how I like to unplug. Sarah's like that. Sarah's been Zooming. Uh, happy hour. Happy hour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, same. Of course. Absolute same. We're like, at four o'clock. Four o'clock. Yes. Which is 59 <laughs> minutes away from five o'clock. Oh, you know, in another time zone, it is five o'clock. You, you know? Have I don't even know what, that? what time it is, what day it is right now. Anyway, no, so I mean, it doesn't even matter. No, you know. All right. Um, let's see. I got one for you, Jen Hatmaker. Okay. All right, I'm ready. Who's your celebrity crush? This is tricky. There's a lot. I mean, there's there's a lot. There's a, long there's a lot to choose from. Yeah. I am going to say that currently, my celebrity crush is probably Idris Elba. Okay, so I'm gonna beautiful. need to Google that. I'm gonna need to <laughs> oh, Google. Oh guys. He's so beautiful. Like, like, it's hard to look directly at him. Um, <laughs> and there's rumors. I don't know if these rumors are true, but there's rumors that he might be the first black Bond. And I feel really excited about this. Yeah. Really hopeful. Yeah. And he's British. It's just too much. He's too much. I can't handle him. Oh, gosh. Y'all need to look it up the second we hang up. I'm just so upset that you don't know who that is. I'm going to need that. Yeah, I'm going to need to. Just tell me thank you later. Yes. Okay, so while we're talking about movies, if you were starring in a movie, okay, now, if if a movie was being made about your life, all your craziness, who would you pick to play you? Oh, that's a funny and a weird question. (laughs) Let's see. I just... And we just can assume I can pick anybody and there's no rules here. No rules. You're free. Remember, you're fierce and you're free. Okay. Okay. I think I would like to pick, I think I would like to pick Tina Fey. Do I get to say that? Yes. My hero, my comedy hero, my hero in sarcasm, my hero in humor. I just... I think she would be flattered by that. Absolutely. She's the greatest. Now, if Tina Fey could have any superpower in this movie, yeah, to oh. playing Jen Hatmaker, would uh-huh. you want it to be invisible powers or oh. the ability to fly? Oh, that's a good one. Okay. Well, can I, have a que- can I ask a question? Sure. You may. Inside the ability to fly option, <laughs> is it like turbo flight? Because this matters. Like, is it fast flying? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you don't want to because be of a bird. To, here's what I mean. All range of flight. Asking. Yeah, all okay. range of flight. All right. Well, if I'm choosing the capacity of it, mm-hmm. then I pick flying, and it's like jet flying, and then thus I could eliminate from my life all the 20 billion hours I spend traveling. Oh. I don't ever want to be in an airport for the rest of my living life. Um, no airports, no lines, no security, no airplanes, zero. I'm going to fly, but I'm going to fly fast. And that's why I was asking. I don't, I can't just be like, you know, a, a gentle flight yeah. if I got to get to Portland. Yeah. Okay. You know? This is not a four passenger plane. <laughs> no. This is a Cessna. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I feel really excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Which decade do you think was better? The eighties or the nineties? The eighties. Me too. What did you like about I, the 80s? I love the hair, the colors, the music, everything. It was just so absurd. Yeah. It was so absurd. Bizarre. The mm-hmm. 80s were ridiculous. Like, absolutely ridiculous. Like, the first time we ever showed our kids all the hair bands, like, you know, Kiss and Bon Jovi and all of them, they were just like, what is happening? Like, <laughs> what are you looking at? I'm like, listen, you don't hate. Don't hate the player. Hate the game. And that was the game. And so... Was, has anything in ever has anything ever been as absurd as the eighties? It was just a fun decade to live in, man. All right, this one may be tough for you, but I, can you tell us some of the best advice you've ever been given? That's a really great question. 
okay, well, this has served me really, really, really well. I use it virtually every day, like literally virtually every day. And my grandma told me one time, my grandma came, my dad's mom, she was like, you can salvage almost anything, almost anything. If you just add either butter or salt, I'm like, grandma, that is wisdom of the ages, grandma. And that's what I do. And so I add butter and salt. And so if you come to my house, you're getting buttery, salty food. (laughs) I miss grandma's man. Yeah. They told us what to do, right? You know? Yeah, they did. Well, Jen, you're going to tell us what to do in your new book. That's so right. thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. It has been such an honor to speak with you. It was my pleasure and so happy to meet you both. And thank you for having me on. I just send like all my love to your amazing listening community. We're so excited. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Bye. Okay, guys. <laughs> Courtney, I have to say, you played that pretty cool. Why are you laughing at me right now? I was kind of worried. Because you're such a fangirl that I thought either Courtney, who loves to talk, this is like right over her boat, either she's not going to speak or she's going to stumble all over herself or giggle through the whole thing. You know I can perform under pressure. (laughs) Here's my thing. No, I... There's this thing in the music industry when I was in the entertainment life. There's this thing in the music industry called a germ. And it's when you're like this ultra fan. And for whatever reason, I mean, and people, like you see the people like that like lose their minds over, you know, they cry when they see whoever. I mean, right. just Garth Brooks, okay, if you're that person. I have never, I don't feel that way about anybody. I, I don't have like, I, I don't know. So I, I think... I'm a fan because I really appreciate the voice that she has in the community that she's in because she has stripped away the whole pretending that she has to be somebody she's not. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's refreshing, you know? And I am a fan because when I... And I've read Seven, I've read of Mess and Moxie, um, for the love, and then the, an excerpt of the new book today. And I'm just like, you tell the truth. Like, say it for the people in the back. I just really subscribe to her way of teaching and her thoughts. And um, I don't know. It's it's nice, too, because I'm going to be real honest. Like, she's a pastor's kid, and I'm a pastor's kid, obviously. You know that now? Mm-hmm. And when you grow up in that... Um, in that environment, there's a lot of things that there's a lot of truths that are just from osmosis that you believe. And then there's a lot of things that are like ingrained in you. And then you, you grow up having to be all the things to all the people, you know what I mean? Like there was this pressure, not even from my parents, but I mean, the societal pressure to, you know, be the good one, Mm -hmm. be the perfect one, not wear your skirt too short, not, but you know, I mean, my parents, fortunately for us, really encouraged us to kind of find our own voice and be creative. And, you know, I'm sure in some circles, I mean, the fact that I cheered would have not even been looked at in Mm -hmm. the right way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think kind of to grow up in that vein and watch her kind of not break out of that like it's something to break out of. I'm saying to approach it in a way that's mature um, and makes it okay to kind of question some of what you grew up with. Yeah. It's refreshing. But, you know, I think that even, you know, what you're saying about being a preacher's daughter, I think that really all women can relate to that. Oh, everyone. Kind of what we're yeah. talking about today. Totally. I mean, it's just like we want to please everyone. We yeah. we have expectations, whether they are put on by ourselves, by our parents, by society, whatever it is, to 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 achieve certain things or to make everybody comfortable, to make everybody, you know, um, or to do the right thing, really, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to be the right person. Mm-hmm. Which, when she was talking about that, I was thinking about myself and who I am is so different in every area of my life. What do you mean? Well, I feel like, and now I'm getting personal. I love no. <laughs> but I'm a certain way with my friends. I'm a certain way at work. I'm a certain way as a wife. I'm a certain way as a mother. So I just, when she's saying all this, I'm thinking, 
oh my gosh, who am I? Uh-huh. Like, I need this. Like, if you strip all that away. Yes. Now, do you feel like you're that way because you fall into, like, a role? Like, at work, you're this person, and at home, you're in authority, and in your friend group, you're the funny one, or, what, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah, I do. And yeah. so it's almost like you have to perform that up. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and be good at that. Yeah. And it's exhausting. It is exhausting. Well, and I mean, it, it makes you go, okay, is this the same song, different verse? Because I get that. Like, I mean, of course, you just naturally have different roles, so you're going to be performing in those roles mm-hmm. no matter where you are. But when it's, I think it's when it's those roles take on um, something that doesn't feel truthful to yeah. yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, it goes back to like who I am, what I need, how I connect, what I believe. It goes back to that, and it's like, if we don't have a secure sense of self, then it does feel like pretending mm-hmm. in all those roles. Yeah. And I do have to say this, too. I do. We've talked about this, too, turning 40, kind of a new sense of, of who I am anyway. Sure. Just being more confident and willing to say, like, no, mm-hmm. and I'm not doing that, or I'm not, I don't care. Yeah. Like, I don't care what you think. This yeah. is what I'm doing. This is what I'm wearing. Whatever. Yeah. And now <laughs> I can really see it since we're all like homeschooling and we're all quarantined. I mean, I'm just like, no, like we're not, I'm not cooking tonight. Right. I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm not teaching you today because I've got to do some work mm-hmm. and work. Same thing. I've had to put that off a little bit too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, speaking of that, I have to tell this funny story real quick. So yesterday, Jason was off on Tuesdays. And I mean, yes, he's got that big stressful job at the clinic, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Stress at home, too. Yeah. Do you not know what I go through? <laughs> um, so yesterday he was off. He went turkey hunting yesterday morning. It was, you know, fabulous, whatever. So about the time he got back, I mean, we were getting fired up around here about homeschool. You know, it was about time. Time, those, time to get those Zoom calls. For the day to begin. <laughs> and so he walks upstairs, and I said, oh, guess what, guys? Today you have a substitute teacher. I would like to introduce you to Daddy. It's Daddy School today. And they were both like, "Huh, Mom? What do you mean? Who's gonna write my stuff down? How do I know what I've got to turn in?" And I'm like, "Here's the thing: the substitute can write it down. They're amazing." I had some work I had to do downstairs at the same time. We canceled uh, the wedding in Virginia. I think we've talked about that. And I had to come down and cancel all the vendors. And like, I needed to do it at a certain time. So I'm like, Daddy School, right? <laughs> So they're all three up there working. Jason was doing charts on his computer. Dean was working grounds. I heard Dean cry. I mean, there was something about a post-it note that didn't get that didn't turn out right. And then I heard him walk down the hall, and Jason put him in his room, told him to go to back to sleep because he wasn't ready for the day oh, no. yet. Oh no, he's giving up. He's like, giving up. And I was down here, and I hated it, but at the same time, there was a part of me that was like, this. Is what I'm dealing with every day. Oh, I know you were loving you know? it. So I was just like, I, I'm going to assume this role all day. So they came, Mom, what are we having for lunch? I was like, ah, yeah, no, you're going to have to talk to the sub. Yeah, sub's in charge. You're going to have to ask the sub. <laughs> sub's on lunch Jason was so, <laughs> was so, he was so mad at me. And at one point, um, he, he said they were fighting on the trampoline or something. I was in here working. And they were fighting on the trampoline. And somebody, he was like, get off the trampoline. We're going to, they went to Long's Nursery or something. He gets, he takes the trailer. He got a pallet of river walk, rock <laughs> and brought back. He was like, you want to know about daddy school? This is daddy school. <laughs> he starts making them unload rock. Rocks like they're crying, they're filthy, there's worms. I mean, which they love. Like, we want mommy, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, guess who was sitting pretty last night? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, uh-huh. they're missing saying, their teacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's something to this, you know. But sadly, they probably learned more out there doing the rocks than they did oh, sitting there writing on post it notes. Of course, they did <laughs> because you know, the good thing about mom is like when when things get start to get crazy upstairs, we hit the eject button. I'm like, you know what. It's not, we'll come back to it. Mm-hmm. Like, let's run outside. Let's go play in the yard. Let's do something. Take the dogs for a walk. Because, um, I mean, that's the beauty of being at home is walking away. Mm-hmm. But Jason was like, you know, he has the stickability that I don't have. Like, he's a good one to see a project all the way through. I'm like, start, and then I hear, like, a squirrel, and I get distracted. <laughs> I, like, start chasing field the squirrel. Trip, field yeah. trip, field <laughs> Yeah. Everybody load up in the car. Um but yeah, he has the stickability. So he was like, "We're getting this done," and then he was. It was. It was pretty funny. So, 
it's good every once in a while for those guys to figure out our roles. No, like I think so too. How how we have to live in that and, and work for your kids and function to see it too. Absolutely. <laughs> I feel like mommy's mommy knows what she's doing. Like okay. oh gravy train. All right, I appreciate that peanut butter sandwich. No joke. How am I going to have a dry erase marker if mom didn't have it up here? Mm-hmm. Little jerks. <laughs> no. Anyway. Um, I did see Jen talk about last week, her homeschool. You know, she has five kids, three of which are her own, and then two, well, they're all her own. Two were adopted from Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. And um, she has this beautiful family, and she was talking about how you just have to make it work in your own house, you know, yeah. and just they, she, <laughs> she said one morning, Brandon came in there and was like, okay, what do we need to do? And she was like, we well, need to get the kids up it's in, in the morning. We need to get them up. And he's like, Why? And she was like, I don't know. They, I just feel like they need to be up. And he's <laughs> like, so start school. Yeah. He's like, so let me get this straight. You have a laptop. I have a, a laptop, both of which they're going to have to use when they get up. You want me to wake the children that are asleep right now up so that they can compete with us for time and energy and effort and all of our laptops and all of our things. Why would I do that? She's mm -hmm. like, you know what? You're right. So teachers, we're doing the best we can. We're going to do it in the afternoons. Yeah. We all need to have a little bit of that. A little self-talk uh -huh. and self-awareness. Goodness. So you really resonated with the part about loneliness. Yes, yeah. I loved hearing that. Too. I'm, I'm, I really am excited to read this. Do you, you feel know, like... I told you I'm not a reader. I know, <laughs> I know. This is going to be new for you. Uh-huh. Um, do you feel like... Can you pinpoint... I mean, uh, when you have your baby, of course, and, and but can you pinpoint real areas of time and life that you were like, daggum. Yeah, I'm I can. lonely. I can't. I think after college, when you graduate, when I, when I graduated, um, and I moved to Nashville... And you go from living with all these girls, always out, always around people, and yeah. then you're working and you're coming home. Mm -hmm. That was really like a lonely time for me. And then the worst time was, I think, having the first baby. No doubt. Because I had, was used to working. I was used to being on the go. And all of a sudden, not only do I have a new baby, but now I'm at home. Screeching. And home. I'm like alone. Yeah. Um, that was really sad. And a lot of my friends, you know, some of them didn't have babies. Right. So, or they were working. And it was just like we had nothing in common anymore. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, was really hard. Instant separator. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, I mean, losing, losing your mother is just a lonely time. Anyway, yeah. losing anyone. Yeah. Because you're just lost. Yeah. You know, and you don't know where how to replace that person. Mm -hmm. or feel that void. Mm -hmm. um, and it just changes everything. So um, so that was another time, too. But I do, I definitely think the baby and not working was the hardest for me. <clears throat> you know... I think sometimes, too, when we transition in and out of friend groups, mm -hmm. to, have you found yourself in that space before? Like kind of what we talked about in the podcast, you were asking her about toxic relationships. Mm -hmm. Can you, do you feel like you've had toxic relationships and there, can you pinpoint? Yeah, but I'm, I kind of feel like those people, it doesn't bother me. Like if a friend doesn't want to be a, a friend of mine, like go on. Yeah. Like I don't get my feelings hurt. Yeah. Really. Um, so, I, and it's always been better. Like yeah. friends that have left. Have you always been like that? Like, have you always been pretty thick-skinned? Yeah, I have. Yeah, mm -hmm. I have too. But, you know, going kind of going back to that loneliness, I think that's probably why I was so lonely is because I tried to perceive myself as like, oh, yeah, this baby's great. Like, staying home, it's great. I should be so appreciative of this. Yeah. It's the greatest thing ever. I get to, like, nurse a baby all day. Yeah. Oh, it's just <laughs> fabulous. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're crying and you're coughing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's what we're told, though. Fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. I mean, fake it. Yes, yes. And I get it in a way. I do. I get I get fake it till you make it in a way. But in the other one, it's almost too like shrivel till you die. You know? <laughs> yes, yes. It's like this depletion and depletion. Um, it's nice whenever those seasons happen, though, that um, it, it's always hindsight's twenty twenty. But when you can look back and go, man, I, I really, that friend, friend A, was that was brutal that mm -hmm. took so much out of me personally and they were always taking and taking and taking mm -hmm. that sometimes when life happens and they excuse themselves or yeah. you make a choice they don't agree with it and they go on or how however whatever the situation is two things happen either you you come well you come out on the other side okay first of all let me say that but either somebody will fill that void in your life, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody will come in, a new fresh face, a new neighbor, a new friendship. Or 
you just kind of patch that part up, you patch that hole up, and you move on. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. with life as is, mm-hmm. and you don't need anybody to fill that space yeah. because you close that. Ch- it's kind of like knowing when to say next. Yeah, but I mean, and too, I do think getting older too, your friends do dwindle down. Thank I mean, goodness, I think it's just natural. Yeah. yeah, and I'm glad for that. Yeah, I don't need any new ones. No. <laughs> I just gonna cultivate the ones just I've got. Hold on tight. Pour into the, them. I mean, really, mm-hmm. uh, really. I mean, by the end of the day, Sarah, what would you say your percentage of give is? Oh gosh, I mean, that's all I do all day long. I know. So by the time, by the time you you get everything and everybody in their place, mm-hmm. you have what fifteen percent left over to invest in people. Ten percent, eight percent, if even. Really, think about it. So I mean. Honing in on the people that, at this point, have a relationship with you that's mutually benefiting. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're gaining and growing. And if I'm not, I don't have time for it. Yeah. I found, too, I need friends, just me personally, that I don't have to speak to every day. Thank you. Like, if, if you expect me to call you every day yeah. or touch base and check in with you, mm-hmm. I mean, I got to tell you. It may like, not work I, out. I'm not going to be your friend. <laughs> just going to excuse myself. <laughs> I mean, I know. I've seen the 206 messages. You still need yes, to return to people. Yes. I'm very aware. But no, I still love you. I'm just <laughs> not calling you back at the moment. <laughs> or anytime soon. Or anytime soon. But I just need you to be very self-assured that yeah. we are still friends. <laughs> still friends. Still love you. And if you need me, you know, yeah. tell me it's an emergency and I will call yeah. you back. 911. <laughs> yes. Well, she was incredible and I, I'm so glad that we got to talk with her. Oh, she was everything that I hoped she'd be and more. Yeah. I hope people say that about me. <laughs> they like, do. They like, do. That, that, you know. She was what I thought she'd be. And it was a little better than I thought. <laughs> better. Much better. Thanks for listening today. Okay, see you next week. I'm see you.